0: morning here in chapel. <clears throat> Looking over the birthdays here, and we've got uh, Gail and Evangeline. Oh, they missed somebody. It's Pentecost. Amen. It's the birthday of the church. Praise God. That's when the Holy Spirit came on the gathered disciples. You can read all about it in Acts 2 if you want more. So happy birthday to us. Oh. It's Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Easter. Well, Jewish counting, seven weeks, but they counted it. That's the 50th day. And Acts 2 describes how the Holy Spirit came upon the early believers in Christ. Peter preached a riveting sermon, and over 3,000 people became followers of Jesus. So it's a fitting day to focus on the Holy Spirit, an oft undersung member of the Trinity. Evangelical churches are known for being more Bible oriented than charismatic. We tend to leave emphasis on the Holy Spirit to our Pentecostal cousins. In fact, Talking about the Holy Spirit often tends to make us just a little bit nervous. Are we afraid of going off the deep end? What's it mean to be overcome by your presence, as we were just singing about there? Have we been put off by those who emphasize signs and wonders, miracles and healings? We were watching American Gospel in small group this past week and saw, thanks to slow-motion camera work, how one supposed faith healer used sleight of hand to make it appear as if someone's short leg grew longer. Few people would have been more skeptical of the miraculous than my late older brother. Dennis was a hard-nosed cash crop farmer from Perth County who volunteered on the pastoral care team at a Mennonite church in Stratford. One time he went to Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship to check it out, back when there were reports of supernatural phenomena. Anybody remember when that was kind of all the craze? He was as surprised as anybody when he found himself lying down on the floor with a strange warm sensation happening inside his torso. Looking back, he understood it was God performing some emotional healing for him. So, as we come to this topic, we dare not limit God in terms of the possibilities of what he can do. As A.W. Tozer put it, anything God has ever done, he can do now. Anything God has ever done anywhere, he can do here. Anything God has ever done for anyone, he can do for you. Yet, yeah, we still get nervous about the Holy Spirit and the supernatural, Pentecostals might argue speaking in tongues is one of the signs a person is truly saved although the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 30 makes it obvious he doesn't expect everyone to speak in tongues. Could it be we get edgy because some gifts require us to yield complete control to the Lord even the ability to control what we say? Does our pride get in the way? Speaking from personal experience pride loves to be in control it bugs me when I can't advance the slides, I've got to plug that in. For the Holy Spirit to be operative in our life, we need to be willing to give Jesus control. 1 Corinthians 12:3. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. When we say, Jesus is Lord, we are saying, in effect, Jesus, I want you to be in total control of me, directing my life. I belong to you. I want to do whatever you want. It's hard to say that when you're proud. As Pastor Phil was speaking last week, we got our hands on the steering wheel and we put Jesus in the back seat, or maybe we leave him standing at the side of the road like a hitchhiker. How can we get our pneumatology, our doctrine of the Holy Spirit, on a firm footing? Lately I've been practicing to get my motorcycle license. The road in front of my house was recently torn up and re-graveled. I'm fine making turns with my bike as long as I stay towards the center section of the road, but the gravel's soft at the edges and if I don't turn tight enough, down I go. I have no traction when the gravel is shifting. Now what do we know about the Holy Spirit that's solid? Well, let's take a couple of minutes and review some things our denomination has set forth about the Holy Spirit in a position paper from a years, few years back called Christ at the Center. It's a free download at emcc.ca if you want to look up Christ the Center. The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is the helper sent by Jesus, whose essential work is to mediate the personal presence and ministry of Jesus. He does so in order that our Lord may be known, loved, trusted, honored, and praised. John fourteen sixteen, Romans one four and eight eleven. Next, the Spirit of Christ, also called the Spirit of God. Revelation two various verses. In the words of Jesus, will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. John sixteen fourteen. This is his fundamental and unchanging task. That is revealing, making known what Jesus has for us. That's the Spirit's core work. The Spirit is more than a power who gives coping ability for living or enables performance and service or moves people to speak or brings about emotional response or endows with knowledge or insight. Rather he is the third person of the Trinity and very God. We talk about and in the personal terms, he, not it. It's not kind of neuter thing. Genesis 1.26, Matthew 28.19, Second 2 Corinthians 13.14. Holy Spirit is a person. Jesus is our example of life in the Spirit. Matthew 3.17, 4.1, moved by the Spirit to go out into the wilderness and so on. Sweet. His life characterized by love for God and love for others was well-pleasing to His Father and commended as our example. Philippians 2.5, 1 Peter 1, two and 2.21. Some tie-ins here to the way of Jesus' sayings. Number four, I'm learning to love God and love others. The same spirit is the deposit or down payment, if you will, guaranteeing our complete redemption. 2 Corinthians 5.5, 5, Ephesians 1.13. The Holy Spirit empowers us to love like Jesus in victory over the world, the sinful nature or flesh, and the devil, and causes us to be partakers of God's nature through union with Christ and to be his witnesses, sharing our faith with others. 1 John 2, 15-17, 4, 12-13, 5, 1-5, 2 Peter 1-4, and Acts 1-8. Tie in the way of Jesus' sayings here, I've begun to follow Jesus and am depending upon the Spirit of Jesus in my journey. The fruit of the Spirit is demonstrated in Christ-like character in a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5:22 to 25. Where Jesus number three, I'm learning to be like Jesus in my attitudes, behaviors, and character. So that's just all from that EMCC Christ at the Center pamphlet. How does that strike you? Not too scary? Sound pretty orthodox? Hopefully that makes you a little less nervous and puts a firm biblical footing under anything else we say. Now if you want to read more you can look up also on the EMCC website position papers there's one called The Gifts of the Holy Spirit. It has a good commentary on the range of spiritual gifts mentioned in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4.11. It also presents a scriptural approach to the issue of tongues speaking. They're fine for personal edification as a private prayer language, an aid to personal prayer and praise. They do help you in your personal prayer life. But they're only to be used in public worship if it edifies others by means of interpretation into everyday language, so other people can get the meaning of what's being said. And the uh, the Gifts of the Holy Spirit pamphlet notes with 1 Corinthians 13 that no matter what gift a believer possesses, without love, agape, it is worthless. Um, So you ask, how is the exercise of my gift going to potentially positively impact others? The pamphlet says, let us pray that the EMCC will be spirit-led and spirit-filled. Above all, however, let us pray that the love of Christ will characterize us as a denomination. If we are God's people filled with his agape, the Spirit of God will see that we are also people who manifest genuine charismata or gifts." Quote. Is the teaching about the Holy Spirit an obscure side doctrine, a, a quaint add-on to the Christian life? or is the Holy Spirit something more central in the view of the authors of Scripture? We tend to talk a lot about Jesus and God the Father but not very much about the Holy Spirit. Do we give him fair billing? There's a tendency if we're not careful to fall into the trap of what we might call a religious view of Christianity. Many religions in the world are performance based. You do the right actions in order to, if possible, earn the approval of the spirit world, present the right offerings, say the right prayers, give alms to the poor in order to qualify as a righteous person. Kind of like the priests of Baal. If you remember back at Mount Carmel, that contest with Elijah, they're dancing around and gashing themselves and uh, chanting and trying to get the gods to send rain. Religion says do. Christianity says, anybody know? done everybody say done. done let's try that again religion says do christianity says ah good You got it it's grace based not works based ephesians 2 8 for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves it is the gift of god not by works so that no one can boast if you're here today to somehow earn righteousness by attendance or saying certain chants, you've come to the wrong place. We're just miserable sinners. We're bedraggled beggars who found where to get bread. Conservative Protestant churches following the reformers and Anselm tend to adopt a penal substitution view of the atonement. Christ died for our sins and thus satisfied divine justice God's requirement for holiness liberal churches may emphasize God's love more than God's justice and holiness so they may follow a moral example view of the atonement that is that Jesus death offers us a perfect example of self-sacrificial dedication to God Abelard 1079-1142 held that Jesus died as a demonstration of God's love Demonstration which can change the hearts and minds of the sinner turning back to God. Abelard was eventually condemned by a church council and excommunicated as a heretic. Uh, But without a proper understanding of the Holy Spirit, our emphasis may become imitating Jesus rather than letting Jesus live out his obedience through us. God remains out there as someone we're trying to please rather than our Heavenly Father who has already given us new birth to be His children through faith in Jesus. Do you see the difference? The Bible is clear that the Holy Spirit is an indispensable part of the Christian life, not some optional add-on. As we've seen in 1 Corinthians 12.3, it's only by the Holy Spirit that we can acknowledge Jesus is Lord. Romans 8.9 If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ he does not belong to Christ. I, a tr- if a true Christian, by definition, has the Holy Spirit already, oh. <clears throat> you're going to want to be with God's people in church. You're going to want to read the Bible, which is God's Holy uh, Spirit inspired love letter to you. When Nicodemus, a prominent Pharisee and member of the Jewish ruling council, came to check out Jesus privately one night. Jesus was point blank with him. John 3, 3, I tell you the truth, Jesus said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Nicodemus objected at this idea, sounded kind of wild. Jesus insisted, John 3, 5, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water, as human birth, and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So we can see that for Jesus, being born of the spirit is a non-negotiable. Impossible. John, in his first letter to the church, likewise insists that Jesus' followers have what he calls an anointing. 1 John two twenty and 27. Now, can you read with me whenever it says anointing? Can you say anointing? Okay. But if you have an anointing, anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught, you remain in him. What's he getting at by anointing here? Huh? Yeah, it's this Holy Spirit. John Means is uh, coming clear in John 3, 20, 1 John 3, 24 and four thirteen and 15. Those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. This is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God... God lives in him and he in God. So you can see a parallel there to 1 Corinthians 12, 3 and Romans 8, and 9. If you acknowledge Jesus as Lord, you've got the Holy Spirit already. The Apostle Paul castigated the church in Galatia for slipping back into works of the law when Judaizers came through. It was the circumcision party, ones that said you've got to follow all the Jewish dietary laws and so on. Paul wrote to the Galatians, "Why he really let them have it. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? For Paul, having the Holy Spirit in one's life is essential, wrapped up with becoming a child of God through faith. Galatians 4.6 Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy, Dear Father. In fact, the Holy Spirit is not just central in a Christian's life, he, the third person of the Trinity, is crucial to understanding the whole thrust of salvation history from Old Testament to New Testament. He's kind of at the heart of your Bible. And God delivered the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt, he gave a code, the law of Moses, and Mount Sinai before they entered the promised land. But over the next thousand years or so, it became clear their stubbornness had them stuck in disobedience. The phrase stiff-necked people. Oh, it just wasn't working. So God revealed the next phase to his prophets. Jeremiah revealed in 3131 31 to 33. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, they will be my people. The Holy Spirit would be the means by which God writes his law on our minds and hearts. Ezekiel, another Old Testament prophet, said in thirty six twenty six, I will give you a new heart, this is God speaking through Ezekiel. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. The prophet Joel foretold a time when God would pour out his spirit on all people. Joel 2.28. And that's the very prophecy that Peter picks up on the day of Pentecost to explain, explain the strange phenomena of believers being able to speak in many different languages. It goes back even further than the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Paul sees God's interaction with Abraham as pointing toward the Christian experience of having the Holy Spirit in our lives. Galatians 3, 8 and 14, the Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the Gospel in advance to Abraham. What's he mean by the Gospel here? Is it going to be four spiritual laws? What's he mean by Gospel? All nations will be blessed through you. Okay, blessed. How does Paul interpret blessing? Are you talking about uh, beamers and jet planes and so on? Oh, listen carefully. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive what? The promise of the Spirit that's the very heart of the gospel that what god wishes for his people is ready to bless us with so salvation history from abraham through to the early church in paul's perception is moving towards believers having the indwelling holy spirit that's part and parcel of the gospel It's the kingdom project God is working towards, restoring the communion that was lost back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. Probably the most complete and detailed description of the Christian life can be found in Paul's letter to the church at Rome. It was not written in response to a particular crisis or issue problem in the church as with many of his other pastoral letters. Paul had time to sit down and present a carefully thought out treatise on how we're saved and what we're saved for. We put on our Pentecost spectacles and we can see that the Holy Spirit figures very prominently in Paul's understanding of how the normal Christian life is supposed to work. The climax of the book towards which the initial chapters build is Romans 8, sometimes called the Great Eight Paul has set forth a picture of our depravity in chapters 1 to 2. Jesus died as a substitute for our sins as a perfect sacrifice in chapter 3. And righteousness becomes possible through faith as for Abraham in chapter 4. Chapter 5, there's just a passing hint of his coming theme. 5 verse 5. Let's read this one together. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. This is where Paul's headed in the whole book here. <clears throat> but it's not until chapter 8 that he starts to expound more fully on how the Christian life actually works. Integrated with the help of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 2. You can read this with me too since we all read it the first half. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Note, the the law of the Spirit of life. Paul uses the word law in multiple ways in his writing around here. There's a controlling power, God's law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the Old Testament as a whole, and a principle. Here the sense is a controlling power. New Living Translation, your Pew Bibles, uh, says the power of the Spirit, of the Holy Spirit. Um, Robertson's Word Picture says the principle or authority exercised by the Holy Spirit which bestows life and which rests in Christ Jesus. Other synonyms might be the rule or governance or domain of the Holy Spirit. Hmm. Do we allow the Holy Spirit to have influence in our lives? Have sway, control. Psalm 32 9. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Verses 8 to 10 in the message paraphrase Let me give you some good advice. I'm looking you in the eye and giving it to you straight. Don't be ornery like a horse or mule that needs bit and bridle to stay on track. God defiers are always in trouble. God affirmers find themselves loved every time they turn around. Are we more like a God defier, having to be dragged kicking and scream, screaming, or are we a God affirmer, staying on track without bit and bridle? My fiance has a pasture out behind her barn to which she takes her pets each day. She puts a bridle on her horse to lead her with, but the two goats, one sheep and one pig, require no harness or bridle. They just tag along quite happily because they trust their mistress and are eager to get to the pasture. Uh, Correction, at least, yes, that was okay a week ago, but the goats have since discovered uh, things along the way. And so yesterday, Patty had to put a bridle on the one mother goat and then the baby goat, the the daughter goat, who's about that high now, and the pig came along as well. But anyway, you get the idea. It's too bad the pig sometimes gets sidetracked by the wild raspberries. (laughs) As you read through the rest of the chapter, what Paul means by the law of the spirit of life becomes clearer. Verses 4 and 5 talk about living according to the spirit instead of according to the flesh, the sinful nature in the NIV. Verse 5, to live in accordance with the Spirit means they have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. To put your mind, your concentration, your attention on what the Spirit wants. A conscious, continual refocusing. After the rappers were down at the end of the second half, our attention was glued on the set. Uh, I've been learning to ride a motorcycle. Uh, I'm, praise God I passed my M2 retest yesterday evening so I'm very happy about that. During the training course it was emphasized you need to be checking your rear view mirror constantly every five to seven seconds because contrary to the first rule of Italian driving what's coming up behind you is in fact important. So a Christian is always checking in with the Holy Spirit rather than merely going by our natural senses. We're asking prayerfully Lord, what would you have me do? It's a, a bit more direct than WWJD. You remember the WWJD bracelets and all that? Like, what would Jesus do? Yeah, but go ahead and ask him. What would you have me do? Yeah. And I need a volunteer young, from the younger side of the congregation. Amanda, can you come up and help me with something here? Okay. So, um... Communication is pretty important. I'm, I'm thankful for my helmet because uh, it has built-in uh, a system where I can talk to Patty so we can go, be going down on our motorcycles together and uh, talking about the pretty lilacs when we went to Holyrood for ice cream the other night and the beautiful sunset and that sort of thing. Amanda, can, if you can come over here. Uh, we're going to let the congregation here. Okay, can you press and hold those two buttons at the same time and until I have to say let go? Hello. Okay. Phone connected. Okay, so, oh. So I'm going to be driving down the road and uh, Emily called the other night. I don't know who this is. Hello. Hello. Uh, who's this? this is Rick. Oh, hi, Rick. How are you? Good. Good. Just reminding you, there's a Raptors game on tomorrow night. Oh, okay. Thanks. I'll remember the Raptors game. Thanks very much. Yep. See you that, later. Yep. God bless. Bye. Okay. You want to push that button to hang up there? Thank you. Great. Thanks. That's all. Thank you. So, call me a geek. I love techie stuff, but the main point of the sermon illustration is. We all have the Holy Spirit built into us. And it, it's like me going down the road with my communication system turned off. Who's going to get a hold of me? You've got the Holy Spirit built into you like the, this helmet has a communication system built in. Talk to God. Tell him about how pretty that lilac bush is looking. How beautiful that sunset is. Lord, where are we going to turn up here? So just let him be your built in communication system through the Holy Spirit. Okay. Verses 6 to 8 in the NIV bring in the language of control. The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. The original language doesn't actually have control, like in the NIV, but it speaks of being in the flesh, in the Spirit. Verses thirteen, fourteen. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Which nature are we living according to? Are we in accord with the leading of God's Spirit? Are we being led by the Spirit? Kind of like that bitten bridle analogy. Or are we doing our own thing off there in the raspberries with Penelope the pig? Are we so under the influence of the Holy Spirit that we're actually mortifying, putting to death the misdeeds of our natural fallen appetites that they would tempt us into? To use a colloquialism, who's driving your bus? Paul's not just talking about this as theory. For him, it's a lived experience, an organic union, walking in step with the Holy Spirit in everyday life. Verses 15 and 16 get at this more explicitly. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. By him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. There's a heartfelt cry, a constant communication, an appealing to our Heavenly Papa for direction each day, each moment. Along with this comes assurance that He is in fact living in us. The Spirit testifies with our spirit we are His. We belong to Him. His very Spirit is living in us. Back to 1 John 4, 13 and 15. We know that we live in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. Marvelous, incredible, but true. Paul in Ephesians 5.18 emphasizes this being led by the Spirit moment by moment is not something that happens automatically. It's a conscious choice. 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit. There's a command. The verb tense used here, present tense, could be rendered Keep on being filled with the Spirit." Aiton Fullard told of a visit his brother-in-law, Billy Graham, made to a very large and influential church. His guide told him of an unfortunate experience. One of the officers in that church had repeatedly, repeatedly gotten drunk, so they had to discipline him and put him out of the church fellowship. Mr. Graham asked, How long has it been since you put somebody out of the church for not being filled with the Spirit? His guide looked startled. So Mr. Graham continued, the Bible says don't get drunk with wine, but the very same verse says, be filled with the Spirit. So you see, the positive command to be filled with the Spirit is just as binding on us as a negative command not to be drunk with wine. Let's pray. Precious God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for helping us to appreciate who Jesus is to give Him control in our life, to call Him Savior and Lord. Father, we confess that we have been very poor at letting You take the steering wheel in our life. We want to do better. We we want to relinquish to You, to let You take over. We want to be led by You. So Lord, grow in us Your fruit more and more day by day. Let us be filled with Your love and share that with others. In Jesus' name, Amen.